Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is America's Heroes Group Roundtable. Now, this time we have the partner of Veterans United. Today is Saturday, October 2nd, 2021. October is National Breast Cancer and Domestic Violence Awareness Month. The host, Cliff Kelly, is here. Uh, was, uh, thank you for introducing the show. I am Sean Claiborne, co-host, National Guard veteran, U.S. Illinois Army National Guard. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our dig- digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. We have a panelist today, and that is Mr. Fred Wellman. He is a U.S. Army West Point graduate and 22-year aviation veteran for the U.S. Army. He's a senior advisor at the Lincoln Project, and we're going to talk about that and the work he does there in a little bit. But right now we have a CNN clip. Trump has brought Marine on stage who claimed he's someone he's not. So let's listen to that. During a rally over the weekend, former President Donald Trump brought a Marine on stage who said that he is the person seen in this viral video that you have probably seen lifting a baby over the wall at the Kabul airport during evacuations in Afghanistan. The only problem here, well, maybe not the only one, but one of them, the Marine Corps says it wasn't him. Kristen Fisher is with us now. Uh, Kristen, tell us what's going on here. Well, we have not heard from the Marine at the center of this, Lance Corporal Hunter Clark, since he appeared on stage this weekend in Georgia at that rally with former President Donald Trump. But uh, a spokesperson for the U.S. Marine Corps told CNN yesterday that Lance Corporal Hunter Clark is not the person in that now defining image of those final days of the U.S.'s involvement in Afghanistan, that he was not the person seen lifting that baby up over the wall at the Kabul airport. But Lance Corporal Hunter Clark sure made it sound like that was him when former President Donald Trump pulled him up on stage at that rally. Listen to this. You want to say something? Hey, my name's uh, Lance Corporal Hunter Clark. I'm here from uh, Warner Robins, Georgia. Uh, I am the guy that uh, pulled the baby over the wall, and it's definitely probably one of the greatest things I've ever done in my entire life. I just want to thank all the support from all y'all. It really means a lot, and uh, I'm glad to be home now today. Thank you. Now, there may be other instances of U.S. troops lifting babies over the wall at Kabul airport. Of course, that was a very chaotic final few days in Afghanistan. Um, But again, the Marine Corps says, sorry, that simply is not him. And they put out this statement. They say the Marine identified in that particular image uh, was not Lance Corporal Clark. The 24th Marine Expeditionary Unit has initiated a command investigation regarding Lance Corporal Hunter Clark's attendance at the event last weekend to determine if any DOD policies were violated. And the official DOD Department of Defense policy is that if you are a member of the active duty military, then you are not allowed to participate in any kind of partisan 
political gathering. And so it would certainly appear as though Lance Corporal Hunter Clark violated that policy. But the official line from the Marine Corps right now is that they're still investigating. So we have Mr. Fred Wellman. Are you here with us today? I am. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Now, you are someone I want to talk to because you used to be also a public affairs <laughs> officer. And you Indeed. did tours of combat in Desert Storm and Operation Iraqi Freedom. So what is the significance and what is the context of what we just heard for that CNN clip? Well, you know, we've really had it. I mean, in the big picture of my frustration, one of my frustrations I've had in the last four years is there's been an increasing, you know, politicization of the military, right? It's being used more and more you know, in, in partisan politics. Uh, from, you know, former generals and others speaking publicly and, and even active duty. And then we've had a rash of active duty service members who have been, you know, talk, speaking out about the, ma- the, uh, the uh, vaccine mandate. And everything. It's, it's just a crazy time. But that particular incident, and I'll be very honest with you, when it first came out, I, I actually supported the young man. I, I, he, he was instantly in clothes. Um, let's to be put a fine point. I tell Mr. Trump is not currently a political candidate. He's just currently uh, the former president. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, other than mentioning his rank, for the most part, he was okay in, as far as the rules go. Now, that could be argued. I believe the Marine Corps will argue that because uh, that wasn't technically a political rally. But you know, unfortunately, whatever Mr. Trump does is being political. But then you find out that he's not quite telling the whole truth, <laughs> and, it, and you just gotta. It just kind of puts a point on you know some of the craziness we've seen in these last last few years of, of, of political uh, political activity by military members. And it's just disappointing. It is a very dangerous and slippery slope when our active military are being as openly partisan. You know, it, a, a hallmark of our entire democracy is the trust of the United States um, citizens that their military is apolitical and swears an oath to the Constitution and not an individual and that civilian control of the military is a bedrock principle of, of how we operate. And, and I, do, I do fear that these kind of activities, um, even relatively innocent ones, which is, hey, thanks for being cool, um, erode that trust in the American people. And that's a really the big picture, isn't it? Okay. Now, you are initially to start a discussion about the public policy affairs and pro-democracy movements and also the dangers we mm-hmm. face as a nation when it comes to um, information, really, and we're talking. We're living in an age yeah. of information that's been that's been weaponized and been politicized, and yeah. and it's really really difficult, especially for the for the person who doesn't who's not as maybe as uh, well read about history and up to date on the the history behind different things and different groups. So, tell us about the dangers of what we're facing today and, and the flow of information back and forth between both sides, um, between conservative and liberal people. Well, I think nothing highlights that better than the, the crisis we face, the pandemic. Uh, just today, the New York Times put out a graphic that shows um, across the country the deaths from COVID-19 since um, basically this summer um, when we hit 600,000 deaths. And it looks like the exact map of who voted for the Republican Party in the last election. And so what we face right now is a swath of our population, which is getting its media, uh, getting its information from sources that are in many ways being manipulative in the truth uh, and not being truthful. And then, and then how does that affect us? Well, now we're in the middle, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. We've got vaccination rates um, in, in, in some states like California, where it's very high. They've had, you know, a very small amount of deaths since the vaccine came out. 
And you got vaccination states that are led by more conservative leadership, like Mississippi or South Dakota, and and vaccination rates are low, and there's a lot of deaths. So, I mean, we had 58,000 deaths of COVID last month. We we should have had this defeated by now. We have the most availability of vaccine of any country in the world. Um, And so we have a situation where misinformation and manipulation of the truth is, it has deadly consequences for us a nation. As a political entity, you're absolutely right. It leads to the violence, you know, the violence we see. Just yesterday, uh, a 30-year-old male um, firebombed the Democratic Party headquarters in Austin, Texas. Um, when he was arrested, the police didn't seem too concerned, and they stated that the reason he did it was he felt that many of our problems were stemming from that building. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. so we have a very scary situation where this information and this manipulation of the truth has led to violence. And so here in the United States, since January 6th, and probably, and frankly, before, you know, violence is part of our political spectrum. And that is terrifying. Yeah, I agree that now, Frederick. Now, give us. I'm giving you some context, or giving the audience some context about the Lincoln Project. So, to give us the, for some yeah. context. The, the the Lincoln Project started from, from I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, from um, Never Trumpers and the Republican Party. So it started within the Republican Party, and then that kind of gave birth to the the Lincoln Project. And one of the main messages that um, that the Lincoln Project promotes is to support those who support the Constitution. So explain that, yep. correct me if I'm wrong, in any, in any way, shape, or form. But tell me about sure. that, and also tell me what exactly is the pro-democracy movement today, and is it has that changed over the last few years? Well, that's a great question. I mean, for us, you know, the founders of the Lincoln Project were eight um, political activists, campaign officials, party leaders from around the country um, who came together. They wrote an op-ed together in December of 2019, uh, declaring themselves essentially what we call, you know, people can't term never Trumpers, if you will. Um, all of them were, were high-ranking Republicans or Republican party members like Steve Schmidt, who was, of course, John McCain's campaign manager, or, or Jennifer Horn, who was the, the, the GOP chair of the state of New Hampshire. Um, you know, very long-time activists who came together wrote this op-ed. And we, but we often joke that they, they wrote an op-ed that created a movement. <laughs> and so they decided to follow the op-ed by forming the Lincoln Project with the idea of, of at the time, um, not necessarily reforming the, the Republican Party, but for sure um, adhering to the values that represented Lincoln, the party of Lincoln. Um, and that became uh, an act, an act of direction to uh, remove Mr. Trump from office and to highlight the march of the sort of the authoritarian tendencies we're seeing from the modern conservative movement. Um, we put out some ads in, in May. We put a famous ad out in May of last year uh, called Morning in America, like morning after a funeral. That took off. Um, Trump himself attacked us on TV, and that really <laughs> and things blew up. So our movement for 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 the during the campaign, our effort was to was to, to to speak directly to voters, specifically Republican voters, and say, "Look, this is the dangers of the party. That if we vote along party lines exclusively, without recognizing the changes that have occurred in the Republican Party and 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 the march towards authoritarianism under Mr. Trump's leadership and others, um, that that there was danger to our democracy." And 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 we we literally aimed to convince maybe three or four percent of the voters, and 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 it looks like we we did our part. That we were part of a coalition of, of wonderful organizations, and, and of course the Democratic Party. It was, you know, a lot of folks. Then after the election was won, we thought, okay, what do we do now? And then January sixth happened, uh, and what you saw was um, people who refused to accept the election result, a peaceful transition. Um, we did not have a peaceful transfer of power, no matter what anybody says. That 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 January six makes it clear it was not a peaceful transition of power, and and so now our country is in real danger. And since then, 
it's only gotten worse. Now, today, laws have been passed in, 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 in dozens of states where the legislatures are, are, are making moves where they'll be able to actually change the outcome of elections they don't like, um, that, you know, your vote may not count. Uh, they've, they've, uh, they've passed laws that will make it very difficult specifically for people of color to vote. Um, you know, we're seeing increasingly that these activities are, are being, you know, it's very directed. And one of the things we say quite often in our movement is, while this may be, quote, an off year in the sense that it's not an election year, except in New Jersey and Virginia, um, it is not an off year for those who are trying to manipulate our, our democratic systems to ensure they don't lose the next election. And that's really the danger. The danger with all these audits and these, these efforts to take the Secretary of State out of the, uh, out of the decision-making process to certify elections, these are all efforts not to win the last election. They're efforts to win the next election. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the real danger. I think, I think too many of us are sleeping on the efforts being done very quietly right now um, to, to turn back the, the next election. They want to make sure that the pieces are in place next time mm-hmm. and that they don't have to fight. And, and I think that's what scares me is, is um, one of my colleagues, Rick Wilson, who's one of our co-founders, has a great way of putting it. goes, you know, um, a coup, an attempted coup that goes unpunished is just training. Okay. And so, you know, and, and so our fear, you know, they're just, it was good practice. And it's the same way, I think, with this audit or with these efforts by state legislatures to get uh, the, the election results decertified or not certified. They learned, okay, well, the law stopped us from doing it last time. So they're changing the laws so that we should have real fear that either in 2022 or 2024, if the results of an election in a certain state don't go their way, that we will see state legislatures, partisan, partisan legislatures with partisan judges who, who have who have been placed in these positions with partisanship um, that could very well, you know, change elections because uh, they they change the laws and they should have it. And I, to me, that's that's what he's saying. So to answer your question, and I'm so I'm so long winded today, no, no. is is just that the the pro democracy movement that we feel is 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 these movements towards authoritarian rule that undermine democracy. Everything from creating their own um, native ecosphere of, 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 of media and, and propaganda networks to creating um, essentially people questioning the reality they know and you know when they see it their own two eyes. And so we're really in a position where um, you know, there's a lot of danger, I think, to our democracy today. We have to we have to recognize it. And part of the problem we face is that people people are not seeing it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that's that's what I worry about, and that's something we say quite a bit. I I, I I think a lot of us thought that at the election that we could return to normalcy, right? Go back to normal. Um, and I think a lot of us recognize that you know you, you have to actually um, continue to fight and defend democracy because normal normal is not really an option anymore. Right, and, that, and that's after the election of Biden. I did not see I could I, after what happened during the Trump years, and also the fact that Trump in itself he was a media and is in a a microphone. Um, um, magician. I mean, he knows how to right. control a microphone and know how, knows how to get his information out there and know, knows how to seduce people through a microphone. That being yep. said, um, how do you get your, keep your voice from being drowned out with all of the barrage of information that's out there? Because keep in mind, maybe we, talk, we have to go back to even the 2016 election where there was interference and in information that was put out through social media mm-hmm. that a lot of people latched mm-hmm. onto. Some mm-hmm. people would see something and say, "This is obvious, a joke. I'm not clicking on this." Other people, oh wow, this is this is this is real. I got to read this, and they were taking that right. and internalizing it as true information 
because they're having a hard time deciphering between what is real and what is not real based on how it's presented to them in social media. With all the technology and the cool, slick graphics we can put on stuff, you can make something that's yeah. totally nonsense look like it's actually legitimate. So how yeah. do you combat that with your message? How do you, how does, what's the strategy in, in place to try to make sure your voice is actually heard? Well, and that that's 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 the that's the million dollar question. I think, to be honest with you, I mean, I wish I could sit here and say, "Oh yeah, we got it all figured out." I don't necessarily think we do. I, I do think that for speaking for the Laker Project, as as both your former executive and now senior a partner, is you know, the one technique. Well, and, and even as a foreign public relations guy, you know, the, the technique I used to call it in my or, or my company, and, and when I was in Iraq was with the Army, was I call it the kitchen sink approach. And it's the idea that you have to throw everything in the kitchen sink into the conversation, that, that it is a combination. For messaging to work, it has to be heard regularly, repeatedly, and in multiple places. So you do have to be on social media. You do have to be in the media. You do have to be where people meet. You have to be physical. I think a lot of times, one of the, I think one of the things that hurt us during the, the pandemic is we couldn't do a lot of that physical outreach. Like, you know, meeting people where they, where they sit, meeting people at school, you know, you know, their schools, meeting people in the public to, to truly convey the messages and our candidates and messages. But in the end, for us at the Lingo Project, we, we, we want to continue to do compelling messaging, compelling advertising that's simple and somewhat brutal. I mean, the thing about the Lingo Project that is, is sort of um, fun to work there about is, is, as we say, we're not afraid to throw elbows, right? <laughs> you know, we are, uh, you know, the thing is, where others, like I said, maybe the Democratic Party wants to go back to, quote, normal and, and doesn't want to cause fights. You know, we're not afraid to, to throw elbows and, and tell the truth on people uh, and expose their, expose their um, uh, demagoguery and, and their malfeasance, right? And, and look, at, we, we've been going after Governor DeSantis, we've been going after Governor Abbott uh, in Texas. Um, we're going after uh, Glenn Youngkin, who's running for uh, uh, governor in Virginia, you know, showing the truth about them. But, but it is hard. It is an uphill battle in many ways. Um, you know, the, the challenge we face is, is a very shifting electorate. You know, the, 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 you know minorities and people of color are, are growing. Um, you know, the younger generation, Gen Zs and, 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 and millennials, are, are, are tend to be more liberal. You know, we've got to get them to vote. And, and, you know, one of the things, and that's, one where, that's where Stacey Abrams has come in, has been such a wonderful American, um, to say, look, in the end, the end, you know, all these great messages and all this great social media, if we can't get you who agree with us, to get up, register to vote, and then vote, then we will lose our democracy. We'll lose our democracy through inaction as much as action. And so that's why I think we, the Lincoln Project, are, are very direct in our messaging. Um, but I do believe we'll, we'll win or lose this democracy by encouraging those who, who should have a vote and do agree that, and recognize a problem, but for reasons that are sometimes unexplainable, can't take the effort to register and to get out to vote. So I think a lot of us have to really focus, like, like Ms. Abrams has, on, on getting people to actually vote, right? They can pass all the laws they want to restrict us, but there's always a workaround. And, and we have to be clever and smart and fight, 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 uh, and get people in those voting booths to make sure we don't lose, um, you know, because we didn't show up. Right. Now, the thing is, what you just based on what you just talked about, I got two questions for you before we run out of time. Okay. So the first, sure. first, let's go into the idea of, of democracy and, and, a form of, and also the idea that we hold dear in this country, which is freedom of, of speech, freedom of communication, freedom of to say what you want to say, short of yeah. offending someone or being, um, or being abusive to someone to where you violate someone mm-hmm. else's rights, right? So now, yeah. with that being said, there's you have in social media, which has become the pretty much the dominant form of getting information out there yeah. in the world. Social media yeah. has taken over over the last you know, 10, 15, yeah. 20 years. But you also have cancel culture, which is a real thing. 
And then cancel yeah. culture, you know, social media, anybody in social media or a social media um, a gatekeeper can say, I am cutting this piece of communication off because I don't want to hear it, regardless of whether it's, you know, I, I've made the decision that this is not true or this is not right. So I am uh, excommunicating this person from our social media platform. How does that yeah. compete with is First of all, is that is that do you agree with that? Is that, is that a safe practice? Um well, I, I think I think I think we've blended two topics there. I think mean, there's cancel culture, which is, a, I believe, a cultural phenomenon, whereas um, people who uh, tend to go against uh, whatever may the, the norm be, be it the Me Too movement or others, uh, and, and and a loud uprising both on social media, publicly and sh- public shaming, and others, uh, you know, removes them, gets them fired from their jobs, or gets them removed from social platforms, deplatformed. Um, and then that can be brutal. That can be a very brutal thing. But then you talk about the, the deplatforming side, which is the, the taking people off of social media. I do believe that there are fact-based ways. I mean, I do think we have to be honest that um, the, the platforms are being used to be manipulated. There are certain, you know, you're certain, you can't just go on TV and say whatever you want, you will get sued. Uh, and, and, and allowing uh, the social media companies to allow the, uh, a free-for-all of, of true fake news or slander, um, I'm a Lincoln Project. I was the executive of the Lincoln Project. Um, I'm regularly called the most vile things. I've had I've had my background dug into. I've had my children, uh, my children gone after um, by our opponents. I, I've had I've had negative news stories written about me, and and so there there does there is a fine line between the ability of our modern communication structure, be it social media and our own communities, to truly destroy people's lives. There's there some people that you know people like to say, well, Twitter isn't the real world. I would argue that's not true. <laughs> it really, that what you just said. That didn't come out quite clear. What did you you said? What's not what's not real? Twitter Twitter is not the real world, or, or you know, the social media is not the way. It really is. It has real world consequences, mm-hmm. and the smearing and the destruction. But the real world consequences truly is what we're seeing right now: the anti-mask movement, the 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 lies being said about the vaccines that are being spread. So so there comes a point where we do have to decide how far we're going to allow our free speech to go to the point where it's killing people, right? Um, and, and that is a tough one. I mean, uh, our enemies have gotten very good at using our Constitution and our laws um, to, to benefit themselves. You know, the things they get away with here, like even the Russians and, and other manipulative people, would, they would never get away from their own country, ironically. Right? So, so it really is, I, 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 again, it's one of those wonderful things I don't have the exact answer to. I don't. But I do believe there has to be a middle ground. Yeah, there has to be a middle ground where allowing the free uh, free distribution, and here's where it gets really tricky. I guess it's. I think. I think what we're also seeing too that we have to recognize is, for example, some of these anti-vaccine people were just removed from, I believe, YouTube. They were profiting off this. I mean, if this is just people having, if this is just Fred Wellman, uh, he lives in Richmond, Virginia, saying, "Wow, I think it's all BS." That's one thing. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing is entire machines of profit, profit being built around these lies, and that's and that like this doctor in Florida who had like six different websites and six different Facebook channels and, and YouTube channels where he was testing and disseminating information and then selling his own cures. I mean, his misinformation programs were designed to drive profits for himself. You know, the same thing we see with a lot of these right-wing. So, so we're, we're, we're seeing this aberration of it, it goes beyond just people having, it's not just their opinion. It, it's, it's truly manipulating the truth um, to make a profit off our country. That should, that's terrifying, right. you know? And so, so I do think there's a, a middle ground. I do believe that some of these people, I, I believe that, you know, Mr. Trump was encouraging violence. Mr. Trump is using his Twitter platform to encourage violence. Um, and and there's, just, there's just no way around that. You know, hey, come on, January 6th, 
it's going to be a real good time. You know, so then what is the, what's the, are the laws that we have in the books right now? And this goes, Oh, um, hell no. <laughs> no, where I was going with that. Yeah. So, the, so basically the laws are not sufficient. We don't have the laws in place. No, to really no. Handle uh, again, I, and I, and this is a theme I go back. And this, uh, if you don't mind, I'll take it to a larger theme as we go out is, this is a perfect, what the, the entire discussion we're having here is a perfect example of a theme I use a lot. Our institutions were never built for this moment, okay? And, you know, we, and, and, and the laws of the books about. Account. That's basically what it comes down to. Right, exactly. <laughs> or, or, an, or an AR-15, with a 30-round magazine, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so too often, I think, and, and, and so, and, and perfect example is the way, the way, for example, the Trump administration treated the Hatch Act. You know, an, a government employee cannot use government facilities in their position to, you know, for commercial gain. Oh, my God. What we discovered was none of that matters if the president himself doesn't care. And so when, when Kellyanne Conway had like 30 violations of the Hatch Act, the, she was never punished because, you know what, her boss did not care. It didn't matter. The, the, flaw, the flaw in the law was there was nobody outside of the president who could punish her. And so our, our founders and many of our leaders, and I'll be candid, some of our leaders who exist today, um, very senior ones, grew up with these traditions thinking, oh, don't worry, our norms and traditions and our checks and balances will work. Um, but none of them have seen the changes that have occurred so dramatically, especially in the last 20 years. And so I do think, going right back to what you said, are our laws sufficient? No, our laws, I don't think our laws had any idea. I don't think the First Amendment, you know, this was printing presses where you had to, you know, you had to move type around. <laughs> you know, our country was written using, you know, you know only, only certain people could afford a printing press, right? right, right. Now every person can publish their information and, and manipulate the truth. Um, it. I, I, again, I, I think smarter people than I need to address it, but I do believe that all of these conversations and, and the fallout from what we're seeing, the violence in our streets, the violence in our capital, are being, by being under the under support, the foundation that is the institutions that we love so much were never prepared and never uh, built for this moment in time. With the, with the, no one ever saw someone who simply just did not have any respect for norms and traditions take the highest office in the land and then manipulate those laws to the best of their ability. So it really seconds, is. 30 seconds, yeah. I have one last question to ask you. So and, and give Go me for in, it. Two, in two sentences, there seems to be two conversations then going on right now. You know, we're talking about the, right. the, the, the control or the grab of that microphone, right? So you have one going on at the, at the, at the ground level with people, but then you have the second one with politicians who are changing the laws. Yeah. Who's winning? Yeah. Uh, that the people who, without question, the people are with the microphones, you know, the average person who's manipulating information is winning hands down. Um, you know, again, there are almost two different battles going on. Mm-hmm. There really are. Fred, thank you for joining us, and we'd like to have Thanks you on the show. Is there a, a website we can go to get information about the Lincoln Project? Uh, yeah, uh, LincolnProject.us. Uh, it's real proud of the work we do. We've got a lot of stuff. We have a bunch of ladies marching, the women's march in D.C. just today, as a matter of fact. Okay. <laughs> so we hope, hope you'll follow us. All the social media channels are Project Lincoln. Uh, Twitter and Instagram and, and Facebook are all there. I appreciate your time. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And we'll appreciate be right you guys. Back. This is America's Heroes Group, Saturday, October 2nd, 2021. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.